Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Revy Suman Wellness Podcast. Thank you for joining. And I'm delighted to have with us Cam Dehar, who is a yoga instructor as well as a teacher. To give you some background on Cam Dehar, Cam has worked in further education for over 25 years. She started as a lecturer and then moved into partnerships, working with employers and young people in creating job opportunities. Uh, she's the vice principal for a college across London and Surrey. Cam is also the founder of Cam Dehal Yoga and Wellbeing, which delivers mindfulness, yoga, and personal development coaching for over 23 years. Cam's focus is on promoting self-care and self-empowerment. Some of you know, I'm an online personal fitness trainer and wellness practitioner. You may have listened to some of my podcasts in the past about yoga and breathing. Cam, thank you for joining us this morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well and it's just fantastic to finally get together and have this opportunity really to discuss our passion, which is well-being, Ravi. Absolutely. And it's great to have you here, especially at a time when we've gone through a lot of professional and personal change in our lives, dealing with a global pandemic, not just in the UK, but affecting the entire world. And at the time of this discussion that we're having today, the UK has had three national lockdowns over a 12-month period. Now, as a teaching college, you come across students from different backgrounds, different age groups. How has this impacted your students, Cam? Ravi, it's been absolutely unbelievable, um, as you can imagine. I and mean, we have over 5,016 to 18-year-olds and over 5,000 adults. So you can imagine that this has massively impacted every aspect of their life. And really, it's it's there's been aspects of socialization, Ravi, that, you know, just not being able to connect with people, friendship groups has really impacted young people. And, you know, friends and that socialization is so important. It's fundamental in building our confidence and our resilience and just having, you know, our friends are our counselors, our friends, um, and they give us advice all the time. And I think students have missed that. Their whole aspect of learning has changed. Um, we've gone digital and FE and further education in schools were not digital. We had maybe 10% of digital kind of environments and learning. And overnight, without any prior training or support, they have had to get online. And for some young people, they've not even had access to broadband or hardware. So that's been very difficult. Their social environments has been really difficult. We're all living in one household, Ravi. And, you know, we've never spent so much time with our members uh, of our family. You know, it's normally around holidays or evenings. And this has been massive over a 12-month period with very short time that we've interacted, which I think was last summer, July 2020. So all these things, and you know, young people are used to different stimuluses, having different agencies, employers coming in, having enrichment, doing sports. And so if you think about all of these things, it has been quite shocking for young people. And I think some of the effects are still coming through. Young Minds UK 
has done a report. They did three reports in each lockdown. And I think their surveys echo some of the things that we're noticing in college. So they surveyed 2,500 people. And in the last lockdown, or just just from this lockdown, they found that 67% felt that this particular lockdown will have long-term negative effects. And that's on their friendships, their loss of education, that's their words. And also, they're really worried, Ruby, about finding a job. And they're worried about, you know, everyone's talking about the economic crisis, and they're thinking, well, we're studying to get a career. But actually, is there going to be a job? So I think motivational levels has really impacted. And just some of the data that's also coming in from FE are showing the symptoms of these changes and the kind of dramatic way of having to deal with this pandemic has resulted in eating disorders, depression and anxiety, lots of stress and worry. Loneliness is um, a massive issue for young people and for adults. Sleep has been impacted and self-harm levels have gone up. All these symptoms, Ravi, are coming up. And I think what the nation and lots of young people in colleges, they're not always recognizing that they have these all this, these symptoms, but they also necessarily feel a bit apprehensive about seeking support. So this is kind of what's happening in the space of education. So it's pretty fundamental. And when you say self-harm, what do you mean by self-harm? So um, there's lots of different ways that um, young people can self-harm. So it could be slitting their wrists um, and it can just be, it can literally be pinching um, themselves. It's making themselves bleed. It can be all sorts of things, and it can be things also substance abuse alcohol abuse. It can be all sorts of things, being in abusive relationships. And I think the symptoms of some of these issues that people are having are are manifesting. It's one in three that we're beginning to see um, in young people that have a mental health issue. So we're only learning about some of these things. And I would say that in college, we're always talking about, you know, just being aware of some of these things, but there's a lot more going on. It's really interesting you mentioned that because you've discussed and given some insight and background on this coming out in the public. So, so how have academic institutes responded? So what um, we're getting a lot of support from the government, Ravi. So how we're, we're responding is, is part of the curriculum now, so part of the tutorial that we discuss some of these themes. So people feel that they don't need to hide away from them, that actually these are things that are, are happening all around us and that there is support and it doesn't have to feel as hopeless as sometimes it is when you're actually within those. We have things like yoga and sports and you know all these various different types of activities as part of the college offer. We have counsellors and we have a lot of charities, Ravi, that come in as well and young people themselves that share their stories. And I think what you see is a kind of very optimistic um, aspect of some of these symptoms as well that you know with the right support and the right guidance and the right kind of lifestyle that some of these things can change that they're not detrimental. So 
that's interesting. You me- you mentioned fitness. Absolutely. So the world at the moment, Ravi, as you know, is talking about fitness or the lack of it. Everyone's concerned, and particularly in college environments, you notice that everybody wants to look and feel good. It's really important. And I think the pandemic has made people sort of question how fit they are or how fit they're not. I think they can sometimes lack um, motivation. They don't know where to start. What would your advice be, Ravi, in sort of managing better fitness? Well, my advice is one needs to look at where they are in their fitness journey. So what that means is people may have a view on what they want to achieve in the short, medium or long term. It could be reducing body fat. It could be weight loss, increasing lean muscle, improving their functional training. So the the first thing is have a clear goal and vision on what you want to achieve and the actions you can take to achieve that in the next three months. And then you need to have goals which are around the six-month timeline and 12-month timeline. So being an online personal fitness trainer and wellness practitioner, in my experience, what's worked for my clients is when you have an open discussion with them and an honest discussion on where they are in the journey, not just in their fitness journey, but in their personal life, that needs to be clearly aligned because one of the biggest constraints that everyone has, regardless of how talented they are in any profession or how good their genetics are, is time. People are constrained by family commitments. They're constrained by work commitments, career commitments. So I always advise everybody, some training and exercise is better than no training or exercise. So for instance, if you can train for 30 minutes, four or five times a week, it's better than not doing any training. Uh, I'll give you an example. Today, I wanted to train for over 60 minutes and work more than one muscle part. I only had time to train after stretching 30 minutes. I only managed to train one muscle part today. It was better than not training because especially now at the time of the global pandemic, we're not as active as we once were because with lockdown restrictions, you could go more regularly out to socialize. You could go more regularly out to parks and other venues. Now with the current guidelines and COVID-19, we're being compliant with where we can go and how often we can go. So we're not burning as much calories as we used to before the lockdown because we're not outside our houses as much. And that's an obvious given. So what one must do is have a level of activity where they're staying, whether it's a flat, an apartment, and house, shared accommodation, be physically active, have movement. If you can't train three, four times a week, then there's other ways you can keep active within government guidelines. Go for a walk. Also, even if you do simple things such as do the hoover, do the mop, do your housework, you're you're still burning calories. You're being active. My advice quite simply is when you start an exercise and training program, have a look at where you are in your personal life. How much time can you invest? Because this is an investment. You're investing in you. You're investing in developing a better version of you. Once you know how much time you can invest, then you need to look at What's your priority goals? So let's say, for example, someone has just given birth to a child and she wants to strengthen her pelvic floor muscles. Then naturally, she's going to have a training program 
you know, which takes into account her circumstances to building up that core strength again. Similarly, someone might have type 2 diabetes. So we have to be aware of what level of uh, physical activity and what diet program there can be. So it, it's, it's about taking things step by step. Because when you, when you take things step by step, you stay hungry and consistent and motivated. Now, why is it that people pre-COVID would join a gym in Jan and then sometimes the level of physical activity subsides through the year? It's about motivation. So the way to get motivated and stay motivated and, and disciplined, and I define discipline as being consistent with your goals, is taking a step-by-step approach. It's great to have role models in sports. And, you know, I idolize Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Muhammad Ali. These are people who have been game changers for the world. So it's great to have role models and legends in your life that you look up to. But remember, everyone's an individual. And I've always said to people in the gym, whenever men in the age range of 18 to 30 years old have approached me in the gym and have asked me, you're over 40 why are you looking how you're looking? Um, my advice has always been that it's consistency in training and diet. It's not just about training and diet. Your whole mindset has to be positive. And what I mean by that is not allowing any negative thought patterns. And it's been said by great athletes, you can either have results or excuses. The choice is yours. What do you want? All right, so that's that's just some food for thought to begin with. I think that's quite profound, and I think that will resonate with a lot of people, Ravi. Have you particularly noticed any differences in fitness training your clients during the lockdown, though? Any key differences? You've talked about the restrictions of time, but has there been anything else that's come out that's quite distinct in this sort of really key fundamental change in our well-being? That's a great question, and thanks for asking that, Cam. So. When I had some online health and well-being discussions with UK corporates on, on the 25th of Feb this year, I was a panel speaker at the UK Business Live Health and Wellbeing event. Uh, on the 4th of March, I had my own online event where we had some employees attend from the UK. And, and when I was asked a similar question, what I found with people in the corporate world who I'm training, who, are, who include executives, is they've only got 45 minutes a few times a week that they can train. So we have to ensure that in that 45-minute session, it's intense and they get the results. So what they're doing is they have got in their lounge or in the garage or somewhere where they're living, exercise equipment. The exercise equipment can be as basic as a kettlebell, dumbbells, a yoga mat. When you have these things, in the place of your residence, it creates an environment and it encourages you to train. Now, I remember someone saying to me, who's, who's also working in the corporate world, she was saying that because she's got all the equipment at home, when the gym's open, there's no guarantee she's going to be as regular in the gym because she's got everything at home. So what's happened is physically and psychologically, people have conditioned themselves during the lockdown to train at home. I'm not against people training in the gym. I'm not against people having a gym membership. I'm all for people doing some level of fitness training, whatever works for them. What we're seeing is people in the corporate world, some of them are understanding that it's not just your 
job title on LinkedIn or, or whatever social media profile you use, which has an impact on how you're perceived. It's also your health and well-being. So, you know, what we're seeing during lockdown is more people taking measures to have a level of fitness activity at home. No doubt, <laughs> I'm sure others agree with me uh, in this discussion that it's been hard to get kettlebells and certain exercise equipment because everyone's ordering it. Everyone's ordering it because they want to keep in shape and do something. So I've seen a big increase in yoga because of the way how it helps manage stress and anxiety. I've seen a big increase in the use of kettlebells because of the multi-use that kettlebells have. It's a great piece of exercise equipment. I strongly recommend kettlebells in training. And uh, I've also seen a greater use of people using their own body weight for exercises because if the gyms are closed, how are you going to train? You've got dumbbells, you've got kettlebells. If you've got enough space, you can have a barbell and a bench, but there's no one there to pass you a heavy barbell when you when you want to do a bench press. So you have to incorporate functional training now and, and use more bodyweight exercises. So that, that's the trend that I'm seeing. I, I'm also seeing a greater use of yoga. So in terms of yoga, now yoga cam is something that fascinates me. And in all admission, I need to do more yoga, uh, more Hatha yoga. I first explored yoga in 2011 when I was in Mumbai, when I learned about Hatha yoga. And I need to be more consistent in yoga, not just doing Ujjayi breathing or pranayam, but the postures. Cam, in your experience, you've been teaching yoga now for a number of years. So what techniques have found you that help your clients manage stress and anxiety? I think it's um, it's fundamental. I discovered it quite by accident and I did my sort of second degree in it um, with a Swamiji. So I learned a lot. And Rami, believe it or not, when I trained in yoga, you couldn't buy yoga mats. Um, you had to have them specially imported. Um, and uh, that's how old um, it's been. And I had to buy one roll. You know where you cut all the yoga mats from one roll and you buy it like carpet? That's kind of so the revolution of yoga. And I'm so excited you're excited because that's what brings together collaborations like us, I think. And we realize that there is that connectivity between yoga and physical health. But I think um, for me, the sort of getting my students on board during this period has been quite fundamental because I've, I've had a community of yoga students now for 21 years. And I've had the same group of students, Ravi, for that period of time. And one class moved to three classes. And this revolution is really exciting me because you're right it's a yoga boom out there but what I had to do during first lockdown is move my yoga classes to zoom so I had to become a digital teacher of yoga and well-being and I have to say that was quite fundamental and going back to what you said earlier routine and creating and sustaining the community that I built was really important. So the first thing I think that's been a key technique to my students is that they could still access a yoga class 
and by switching on their computer, like you said, that their home environment became their yoga studio. So I think that was key. And what I did do is I created three key classes on a Saturday and a Sunday. So the Hatha Yoga, which is focusing on the pranayama, as you said, the breathing, so deep breathing, and the postures, so helping people understand about muscle matter and movement and the impact that has on releasing tension um, in your body. And then meditation, where we begin to start breathing and you are able to have one-pointedness in your focus and that one-pointedness of concentration developing into meditation. So they were the three fundamental things that the yoga, the routine of the yoga classes presented, sort of deep breathing, movement, so whether that was cardiovascular or more gentle about deeper stretches or whether it was about mindfulness and, you know, really helping to manage um, some of the key techniques that I don't think people necessarily all um, understand in yoga that yoga techniques bring in endorphins which give you that euphoria you know this from um, you know physical fitness and also regulating serotonin levels so this is about enhancing your memory and you know strengthening your neurology um, helping you manage moods so some of the symptoms we found from um, lockdown has been depression anxiety all those things that I said young people and adults are going through that by doing these sort of three key areas of techniques through the yoga classes it's really helped manage all those aspects of sort of hormonal management so that was really key I think the other thing is if you've got one forum you create a community and people can ask for help so Ravi a lot of people have gone through um, COVID. So they needed help around sort of boosting the immune system, helping actually through the deep breathing to begin to start uh, developing the condition of their lungs and strengthening their lungs. So they actually needed a go-to person just to say, what do I do for this? Or how would I manage that? And a lot of people went through anxiety and fear. So again, just the breathing exercises reduced that and made people feel a sense of calm, which was important. There was a series of, a bit like yourself, Ravi, we did a number of series of mental health talks and they they consisted on you know how you're managing anxiety how people are managing a lack of sleep and insomnia how people are feeling around the lack of education and how that's going to impact on their careers so we did a number of different things and again I think fundamental to the discussion was this openness about what symptoms we were feeling individuals were going through all their families and their partners and then from that I think the key fundamental tool that yoga has given has been the self-care tool so what do you do if you can't sleep what do you do if you're feeling anxious what do you do if you feel scared many young people have returned back to school how do you cope with that? How do you cope with actually mixing with people when you've actually had a large amount of time not mixing with people? So one of the things that really attracted me to yoga and why I love promoting yoga is that very simple tools that you can use as and when symptoms arise that will take five or 10 minutes in certain movements that will make a massive difference. And I'll give you an example. One of my young students had an interview at Oxford University. He's a very capable young man, very intelligent. And he said to me, Cam, when I go for interviews, I can't remember my name, let alone answering some of the questions. His anxiety was such that he really felt he wasn't performing. And he knew that this was a really important goal that he'd worked towards 
boards. He had the opportunity, but his anxiety was getting the best of him. So I just taught him to go into the warrior posture. I don't know whether you know it, Ravi, but to stand in the warrior posture, that really um, improves your posture. It automatically improves your breathing and it gives you a real sense of focus and confidence and he did this and I think he had to do this in the gentleman's toilets before the um, the actual interview but he said the difference that that had made that tool that technique in stabilizing him when he kind of felt really imbalanced and quite frightened was profound and I think everybody deserves to know what tools are available whether it's in physical fitness or in yoga Ravi I think it's really important that people are aware that these techniques are available and they can make a massive difference to their physical um, well-being and to their mental well-being, which, of course, are interconnected. They are not separate entities. Absolutely. And um, I believe you mentioned something about motivation. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's it's key, isn't it? And how, how have you motivated people? Because I think at the heart of people, because people have good intentions, don't they, Ravi, and they want to do... They want to sort of move forward and do things. And we know that we tend to make commitments sometimes and promises to ourselves. I think you mentioned, you know, like New Year's Eve and everyone makes those kind of promises to themselves that they're going to um, stay committed to something. How do they actually do that? Now, how have you helped to get people through this motivational barrier so they actually stick with what they have planned to do around physical fitness? With motivation, I define motivation as the actions one takes to behave in a certain way. When someone has a motive, there's a root cause behind that motive. And that root cause is deeply manifested in the soul, in the mind and heart. And so one needs to have an honest discussion with themselves on, on what the goals are, not just for the short term, but, but for the long term. Because when you start something which involves transforming your mind and body, it's a lifelong commitment. It's not going to happen overnight. There is no magic training program. There is no magic diet plan. The millions of personal trainers out there all have access to the same inventory of exercises. The way how we differ is in our approach in, in how we manage the client that we're working with. So what I do uh, with people that ask me for support in their health and well-being and fitness training is I always trying to understand more about what the background is, the root causes behind the motives they have, what they want to achieve. So finding out the why is so important. Now, the why they want to exercise or train could be that they want to be a national champion in their chosen discipline. Uh, it, it could be they want to get in shape for their wedding. It could be that they want to get in shape for a summer holiday when everybody is more confident about traveling again. Knowing the root cause is absolutely critical because when you know that root cause then you can understand what's happened the how why what when that's so important and so there are techniques that one can use in, in helping people with this motivation barrier and that's reminding them of their purpose and, and them following the vision and i, I mentioned it earlier one has to compare themselves to the to themselves. So when I'm training in the gym or, or I'm training at home, my competition is me. E even though I've had a corporate career for over 20 years in, in professional sales and technology, I always competed with myself and my expectations. 
even when I decided to get involved in exercise and training from my earlier years, it was always about what can I do to better myself and fulfill my potential. So everybody I feel has a duty to themselves to fulfill their potential. And whether one believes in God or not, at the end of the day, you've got this physical body. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do to it? You know, we're in complete control of our actions. I know some will disagree with me because if someone is unfortunately born into a country where there's poverty, then obviously you can't do what you can do in countries in the West where you have those privileges, right? That I respect and understand that. However, if you are born into a country or an environment where there's not much poverty and you have the ability and the resources to train and exercise, then please do not waste it. And life is full of time. Do not waste time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this pandemic has really taught us the value, hasn't it, um, Ravi, of time. You've seen these changes, Ravi, that you've talked about. How do you see kind of exercise now and fitness regimes evolving now? So the way how they're evolving is even when the gyms open up, I, I do expect people to return to training at the gym. There will be a preference for some to have in-person training with the right safety guidelines. However, there's also going to be a preference for some to remain training online. So here's my view. Online training, whether it's yoga, whether it's fitness training, whether it's functional training or anything else, it's here to stay. It will not go because what I felt is in the last 12 plus months around the world, People have adjusted not just the way how they work and live, but how they exercise and train. People have the yoga mats now. They've got the kettlebells. They've got the dumbbells in their places of residence. So they're going to be using that. That's an investment. In a way, people have psychologically conditioned themselves to be training at home now and be, and be training online. It's not just businesses that have had to pivot their delivery model during a global pandemic. Individuals with an exercise regime, have had to pivot the way how they exercise and train. As a result, my feeling is online training is here to stay. It will not go. And I, as, as I mentioned, I have no objection to people wanting to train in person or in gyms. However, there is a market out there, and that's a big market, who want to continue to do the exercise training online because of the work-life balance and because of the commitments they have with family and their career. We're living in very challenging times now. Hopefully there'll be no more global pandemics, but nobody can prevent that. None of us in the world were prepared for this global pandemic. None of us were. And there could be future pandemics. There could be. So what we're going to see now is more and more people valuing what they learned, what they experienced from online fitness training. So it's here to stay. What I'm also seeing is people that are used to doing resistance training, whether that's with the body weight, whether it's with functional equipment or with the classic dumbbell or barbell. Those people who are passionate in using weights in their training, I see them also embracing yoga because they understand or and are increasingly understanding the importance of working the internal organs in the body and the importance of breath work. So for example, what I tend to do now more subconsciously is during my sets, whether it's a barbell squat or whether it's an, another compound movement, I'm starting to breathe 
more now through my nose. And and initially I thought, okay, if I go for the last set in a barbell squat or bench press or a deadlift, which are classic compound movements that burn calories, I'm going to have to have my mouth open because I'm going to be going for that extra rep with that extra plate on the bar. Um, but what I've learned to do during lockdown is I've, as I've begun to explore my breathing techniques is subconsciously I'm breathing through my nose a lot more. And I have to say, when I woke up this morning, my mouth was open. I, I still, you know, sleep with my mouth open. And I, I know I've had other yoga practitioners say to me, you shouldn't always do that. And it's, it's a matter of opinion, which I respect. But I, I'm still learning about breathing. I'm still learning about vajaya breathing, pranayam. I'm still learning about yoga. I am, I'm definitely encouraging my clients to improve their breathing technique and to definitely improve the, the use of yoga because we can't rely anymore on pieces of exercise equipment that we have in gyms because we're living in a world of uncertainty. And, and that's unfortunately the truth. That's how I feel. No, I totally agree with you. And I think it's all the things that you've said, really. We've got a kind of everything's changing. We've got more options. And it's about how we use the education since this lockdown to improve our health. And like you said, it can be as simple as being at home. And some people can't travel to gyms and go to other places. I think you said this health, life, health balance. And actually, people have used that as an excuse before um, not to exercise. And now we've realized we can do so much more can't we, Rabbi, at home um, with a minimalist of tools and actually it can impact quite profoundly um, the way that we're managing our own self-care. You've had to pivot how you train your clients, setting up Zoom meetings. I remember having the, this discussion with you about you've been in the yoga studios and you've been in those yoga studios where it's 40 degrees or higher and, and you're going through the postures and now you're having to do it remotely. So Cam has been a journey that you've had to experience as well. So where do you see yoga, mindfulness, mental health, well-being? Where do you see it evolving? I actually see it being quite collaborative. When I first started doing yoga, you know, people kind of thought it's a hippie thing or it's an old Indian technique from 5,000 years ago. It's outdated. Where does that kind of relate to everything? And what I'm really, really pleased to say is how I'm seeing it evolving is it seems to be in every aspect of our lives now. When I went back to work, because obviously schools have opened and colleges, we are talking about yoga and fitness and well-being. And it's part of now the HR packages um, that people are getting at work. So it's become quite fundamental that in an institution, as well as getting all our KPIs and all the things that we need doing to make a business move forward, that we should also be thinking of our well-being and health. So it's now structured into the HR package. Young people, uh, there's more being developed into the curriculum about awareness of doing things like yoga, why physical fitness is important and really just having much more knowledge at hand it has been really really key so it's been more than just doing physical education and like you said doing that at home I think um, families are doing much more sort of activities together and talking about issues of mental health and why it's important to be fit we're talking about this in terms of our diet and nutrition. It's fantastic. So for me, a word that was never used very much, yoga, 
pranayam. Nobody actually even understood that 70% of people don't know how to breathe. And that means that they don't breathe through their stu- um, from their stomach up. As you said, the impact of always breathing with your mouth open, how that impacts on the sort of toxins that are going into your body and the you know the, the impact and exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen and how that invigorates your energy levels so there's so much now that I think is beginning to become very collaborative I think psychology and um, sociology and neurology and epidemiology and science all these aspects are coming together and they're not seeing themselves as separate Ruby, they're seeing themselves as very interconnected. So a bit like the the rishis of India and a bit like the Egyptians, there were kind of there's historical evidence that is now being manifested and evidence through science. We can measure energy, we can measure vibration. So I think this has had an impact in the importance of yoga and physical well-being. And I think for me, what's really exciting is I've seen people talk openly, Ravi, about um, their fitness over this pandemic. So they will say, I've done this many steps. I've done this many kilometers today. And you've had so many charities that people have got involved in, in doing something around fitness. And what I've noticed is people are understanding how yoga fits into that, how mental health fits into that, and they're talking about it. And through talking, we're getting much more comprehensive education. And this all goes then back to having the tools to know what we need to improve our life. So I know now I can come to you, Ravi, and I can say, I don't want to leave my house. I don't want to have um, a fitness instructor in the gym. I would like that online and it would complement my yoga. And these are the things that I want to know more about, you know, muscle definition and which parts of the body I need to work because it's quite a complex area. But the information now is much more accessible. You can come to my yoga online. And I think people have got choices. They've got information more readily and they've got support. And so I say a hallelujah to this kind of revolution that's both digital and well-being coming together with the most amazing collaborative partnerships. And if we have more of these sorts of podcasts that help people take those steps into self-improvement, I think we're going to see some really fascinating things over the next couple of years in a time, I think, that's going to be tough, perhaps, economically. Absolutely. And uh, can I concur with you on that? Before we conclude this discussion, what would you like to leave the listener with? Just some, some thoughts about time. We're going to go back to this normalization. Um, it might be a new blended time of kind of a normalization, but we're going to go back to that fast paced life. And I would say, please consider making sure that you're making time for yourself. Go into the yoga and physical space invest in it because it will profoundly change your life the one positive thing we've got from this pandemic is self-care and hopefully this podcast has helped people think that they are really important and they need to put themselves first how can someone get in contact with you when they want to find out more about your work on promoting mindfulness yoga and personal development 
to come onto my um, website or Facebook, it's camdahalyoga.com. And on there, I have a wealth of um, resources, of um, free resources and techniques on various things to work at your own pace. And also I have classes. So I have relaxation classes and yoga classes. So come and join me. It'd be great to see you. Thank you, Cam. I would also like to share with the listeners that thank you for listening to this podcast. Please like and subscribe to the Ravi Human Wellness podcast series. There will be more podcast discussions coming up. And I'm sure Cam and I will continue the, the discussion that we've had today on how we see a holistic approach beginning to take more shape and more development in mindfulness in in health and well-being please also uh, feel free to like and subscribe to the Ravi Suman YouTube channel where you'll also see video content of my discussion with wellness practitioners you can also contact me on ravi at ravisuman.com website is ravisuman.com thank you for taking time and uh, have a great day Thank you very much, Ravi. It's been a real pleasure and you're very inspirational and it's great to have this collaboration with you and I look forward to very many more of these. Thank you, Cam. This is a 1386 audio production. 